Well, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis chapter 1. I want to read verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, as I told you last week, the Bible is not a book of science per se, but neither does it contradict science. In other words, the Bible is not intended to be a science book. It's a theology book, a study on God and our relationship with God. But even though it's not a science book, it never contradicts science. Why? Because the author of the Bible is the creator of the universe. In fact, he's the creator of everything. And all science is doing is studying what God has created. It's studying God's handiwork to learn how it works. Turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 19, verse number 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show his hand, or shows his handiwork. Now, if for some reason the Bible does seem to contradict science, one of two things has happened. We've, we've either misinterpreted the Bible, or science is wrong. And that's happened in the past. Hundreds of years ago, everyone thought that the world was flat. Even the scientists of that day. But the Bible said that it was spherical. And of course, the Bible was proven to be right and science wrong. Now, science tells us that the earth is approximately 16 billion years old. But the Bible says that the earth was made in six days. And on the sixth day, man was made. And when the Bible says days, it means 24-hour periods. And let me show you why I say that. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse number 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. Now, the word days in that verse is translated from the Hebrew word yom, and it refers to a 24-hour period. So this verse is telling us that God made the heavens and the earth in six 24-hour periods. Now, as I said, man was made on the sixth day. That's why the number of man is six. And if you study the genealogies of the Bible, Adam was created somewhere around 4,000 B.C. Now, there are some that have tried to pinpoint it exactly. In fact, there's many that says that Adam was created in 4004 B.C. I'm just going to give you kind of an approximate date, 4000 B.C., which would make the earth approximately 6,000 years old. So there seems to be a discrepancy between what science says and what the Word of God says. So now you've got this great, great debate going between Christians who believe in a young earth and Christians who believe in an old earth. Those who believe in the young earth believe that the earth is only 6,000 to 10,000 years old. Now, where'd they get that extra 4,000? Well, there are some of them that believe that the genealogies have gaps. People were left out, and as a result of that, they said, well, we probably need to throw in 4,000 years. So those who believe that the earth is young believe that the earth is only 6,000 to 10,000 years old. And those who believe in an old earth believe the earth is about 16 billion years old. And of course that fluctuates to 16 to 20, but we'll say 16. Now, what's sad is that it's become very common for those who believe in a young earth to accuse those who believe in an old earth of being heretics. And they'll even accuse them of denying what the Word of God says. And people, it gets nasty. In fact, if you go up to Mardell's Christian Bookstore and you start, bring, uh, start looking at all the books that talk about whether the earth is young or old, you'll see that they get into a battle and they really go after each other. It's their own little war between Christians. But the truth is, it's possible to believe in an old earth and also believe 
what the Word of God says. In other words, you can believe that the earth is 16 billion years old and still believe that the Word of God is infallible and inerrant in the original languages. And the reason it's plural is because the Old Testament is written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. Now, let me explain why I say that. You see, most conservative Christians who believe in an old earth believe in one of two theories. They either believe in the Genesis Big Bang Theory or they believe in what is called the Gap Theory. Now, last week I explained the Genesis Big Bang Theory. And from the feedback I got from everyone, or not everyone, but most of you, it didn't go over too well. It was a, not a Big Bang, but it was a big lead balloon. But anyways, basically, the Genesis Big Bang Theory is the same as the Big Bang Theory, except God is the cause of it. Not pre-existing matter and extremely high density and temperature. Instead, it was God who initiated the Big Bang. He simply spoke our universe into existence. And it's been expanding ever since then. Now, those who believe in this theory believe that the earth was created in six 24-hour days, just as the Bible says. And that approximately 6,000 years has passed from the time that Adam was created to right now. But they also believe that the earth is 16 billion years old. So how in the world can they believe in both of those things? How in the world can they believe that the earth is 16 billion years old, but also believe that God created the earth in six days and only 6,000 years has passed since then? You can't have both, can you? That doesn't make sense, does it? Well, according to science, it does make sense. In fact, it makes perfect sense. Since. You see, according to the standard interpretation of the redshift factor, the measurement of time expands as the universe is expanding and at the same rate. People, this is known as stretching time. And I will explain a little bit about that and give you an illustration in just a minute. Now, to help you understand what I'm talking about, let me read part of an article on time and Albert Einstein's law of relativity And the title of this article is, Age of the Universe. You can follow along with me up on the screens. What's exciting about the last few years in cosmology is we now have quantified the data to know the relationship of the view of time from the beginning relative to the view of time today. It's not science fiction any longer. Any one of a dozen physics textbooks all bring the same number. The general relationship between time near the beginning when stable matter formed from the light of the creation and time today is a million million. That is a trillion-fold extension. That's a one with 12 zeros after it. Now listen to this. It is a unitless ratio. Someone came up to me after service, can't remember who, and says, well, what is the units that you're using? Well, this, this uh, is a unitless ratio, and the reason it is is because it's dealing with time. So it doesn't matter if it's seconds, minutes, days, hours, or months. It is a unitless ratio. So when a view from the beginning looking forward says, I'm sending you a pulse every second, would we see it every second? No. We would see it every million, million seconds. Because that's the stretching effect of the expansion of the universe. In astronomy, that term is redshift. Redshift is observed. Astronomical data is in observed. Astronomical data is standard. So what I'm telling you is time is relative, hence the name law of relativity. 
So from God's perspective, the earth was created in six days and about 6,000 years has passed because God is viewing it from the very beginning. But from our perspective here on the earth, the earth is approximately 16 billion years old. So according to science, both perspectives are right. Now, to help you grasp what I'm talking about, I'm going to use a very simple balloon to illustrate how our universe is expanding. All right? Because it's not that difficult. You need to think, but it's not that difficult. Let's suppose that this was at the very beginning. God spoke and this is the beginning. Now, you see that little circle that I've drawn on this balloon? That represents a day. So, at the end of the day, this is what was created the big, in the beginning. So, the Space, or I should say the heavens are now expanding. God's creation is now expanding, so let's make it expand. And let's stop right there. I'm out of breath. Now, can you see, though, that this balloon is actually symbolizing creation expanding, and I'm blowing its go. By time, it just keeps expanding. Now, I want you to notice at one day, that was a real small one, but as this balloon kept expanding, what did it do to the rubber? It stretched the rubber, and now this circle has been stretched. Hence, we talk about stretching time. So, as this universe expands, what does time do? It expands with it at the same rate. Time stretches. Now, from the beginning, that's how big a day is. I'm not going to blow it up again. But as it's expanding, it's stretched that large. Now, the Bible also uses this analogy to describe our universe expanding. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 22. Talking about God. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. So that word stretches, what he's saying is he took the heavens and he started, or when he created it, it started expanding, and it was like it's stretching it out. So, if we came to the Big Bang Theory, there's a little back one, and let's say this is the beginning right here. And in one day, this is what it was. But as this space is expanding, or our, our, uh, our universe is expanding, this day, because it is expanding, now is like that. So, from this perspective over here, from the perspective looking back at the beginning, this is a million squared times that day. Now, if you look at it from the beginning, and you're looking out, it's only a day in which that was created. That is what Albert Einstein discovered and wrote about. Now you understand Albert Einstein. Give yourself a hand. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So you say, I understood that. 
Did you not? Okay, no. I thought you might understand. I thought I did a great job with it. Now, let's look at the gap theory because I, I don't think I can make the other any simpler than that. How many of you have ever heard of the gap theory? How many of you never heard of the gap theory? All right. Well, let me give you a quick synopsis of the gap theory, and then I'm going to explain why proponents of this theory believe in it from an exegetical standpoint. In other words, we're going to go to the Scriptures, and I'm going to show you from the Scriptures why they believe in this theory. Proponents of the gap theory believe that there's a gap between the first two verses in Genesis chapter 1. There is a gap of time from verse 1 or in between verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1 describes the original creation of the world which occurred billions of years ago. This world was eventually destroyed by God because Lucifer, who was over this world, rebelled against God. And then verse 2 describes the condition of the earth after its destruction. The rest of chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, describes how God recreated the world. So sometimes this theory is also referred to as the ruin and restoration theory. But most people just call it the gap theory. Now, probably the most famous person who is a proponent of the gap theory is Dake. How many of you have a Dake Bible? Oh, it's a great Bible. If you've got a great Dake Bible, it is a wonderful Bible. But it opens up some concepts that most people have never even heard of or thought about. I love my Dake's Bible. Now, I'm not saying I agree with everything that he has in there, this little notes that he has, but it's very interesting. So years ago, I began studying that. Now, as I said, most people refer to this as the gap theory. And that's the bare bones of the gap theory. Does everyone understand it so far? Verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Satan was over that. He rebelled. God judged it and destroyed the earth. There's a gap between verse 1 and verse 2. In verse 2, we see the condition of the world. And then God begins to restore the world, and that's verse 3 on in chapter 1. Now, I want to go a little bit deeper just in case you didn't give it or didn't get it. And I want to talk about why the original earth was destroyed. So let's start at the beginning. According to this theory, God created a perfect heaven and a perfect earth billions of years ago. Lucifer, who was the archangel, as I said, he ruled over this perfect earth and the people who lived on it. The people who lived on the original earth are referred to as the pre-Adamic race. Anyone ever heard of the pre-Adamic race? So supposedly there was a pre-Adamic race. In other words, nations of people before Adam and Eve were ever created. This was on the original world. But eventually, in this perfect earth, Lucifer rebelled. He wanted to be exalted. He wanted to be as high as God, but actually higher than God. And you'll find that in Isaiah, the 14th chapter. Now, because of Lucifer's rebellion, sin entered into the universe, and God brought judgment upon it. God flooded the entire earth, much like he did in Noah's day. The flood destroyed all of the people. It destroyed all of the animals. And when the light and the heat from the sun was removed, it created a global ice age. So most of the fossils that we find today are from that period. Now, what about demonic spirits? What are demonic spirits? How many have been taught that demonic spirits are fallen angels? Yeah, they're the ones that rebelled. Well, not according to this theory. Demonic spirits are actually the spirits of the pre-Adamic race that was destroyed. And the reason they believe that is because in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 4, 
In Jude chapter 1, verse number 6, it tells us that the angels that rebelled with Lucifer are in chains. They're not roaming the earth, according to those two passages of Scripture. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now notice this. He cast them down to where? Hell. Where is hell? Hades, center of the earth. We talked about that when we were going through uh, the book of Jude. In fact, I'm going to read this. And if you remember what I taught, that was a really interesting passage of Scripture. I'm not going to go into that tonight. You can get the DVD if you want it. Now look at Jude chapter 1 verse 6. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. Now that's interesting too. We'll talk a little bit about this as we get forward in the stories in Genesis. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness. Now notice that. God has kept them what? Securely chained. Where? In darkness. Waiting for the great day of judgment. Do you remember when Jesus was getting ready to, to cast out the demons that, they re, that referred to themselves as legion? And they said, please, don't send us to the abuso. Don't send us to the pit. Let us go into the pigs. And, of course, the pigs ran down into the lake or Sea of Galilee. It's not really a sea. It's a lake. But anyways, they ran into there and drowned themselves. But where did they not want to go? Where supposedly the fallen angels are. Now, according to this theory... The rest of Genesis chapter 1 from verse 3 on is the story of God recreating the earth. Now, is everyone with me so far? I'm going to actually put this on the whiteboard so you can see. Make it as simple as can be. So if you zoned out, you can now zone back in. Verse 1. God created a perfect earth. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, from other passages of Scripture throughout the Bible, the proponents of this theory believe that when he created this perfect earth thousands of years ago, there was a person called Lucifer, an archangel, who was given the right to rule over this. We're going to find out why in a little bit. We're going to look at some of those Scriptures. And then supposedly what happened was there were nations, because you can't rule unless you're ruling over people. If you were with us in the book of Revelation and we got to the end, we talked about the people who would make it through the tribulation. Physical people. People that are flesh and blood. They're going to live through the thousand-year millennium. Then what's going to happen after the thousand-year millennium? Are they going to be transformed? You should have been in Revelation. We find out who we are going to rule over. But Satan, or Lucifer at this time, he ruled over this earth I'm trying to make it look like an earth here. And he then rebelled. He wanted to be higher, for, higher than God. And so what took place is uh, he actually made the nations crumble. The nations fall. And as a result of that, God judged the earth and destroyed it. Basically what happened is it was flooded completely with water. And then, of course, because he removed the sun and the stars, all the heat all the light was removed. Now we went into this global ice age. And then, in verse 2, we see the consequences or we see the result of the judgment. If you go and read verse number 2, he tells us the condition of this earth. This is the way it was. And then from verse number 3, God begins to reconstruct this earth 
into the present earth that we have. So the gap theory says this was billions of years old. But once he starts reconstructing it, it is only 6,000 years old from the time he reconstructed. And now we can look at all these fossils. We can look at all of these things and see. Okay, now, that is what the gap theory is all about. Is everyone with me? Good. I've done a good job doing that. Now, let me explain why the proponents of the gap theory believe in it from an exegetical standpoint. That simply means let's go to the scriptures, pull out what the scriptures say, and let's look at the scriptures that seem to support this. Turn with me to verse number 2, chapter 1 of Genesis. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now I want you to underline the word was in that very first clause. And the earth was without form and void. That word is translated from the Hebrew word haya, which can be translated in one of two ways. It can be translated as was, or it can be translated as became. Either way. Now, if it's translated as became, it changes the meaning of verse number two dramatically. Because that implies that some type of destruction occurred. In the beginning, verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on. And it says, and the earth was, no, and the earth became without form and void. In other words, something happened. God originally created this perfect world, but it became as a result of judgment without form and void. Now, what's interesting is that this interpretation is also found in Jewish commentaries that date all the way back to the Babylonian captivity. 500 years before Jesus Christ. There were Jews who translated it this way. Hebrew scholars and said this is the correct way to interpret it. In fact, the Targum Onkelos translates verse 2 as, And the earth was laid waste. Wow. Now, when was the Targum Onkelos, Onkelos written? Second century A.D. Now, the reason I bring that up is because you have opponents of this theory claiming that this theory is relatively new. They only came up with that because of evolution. Uh, you'll read that. I told you it gets nasty. Most of them will construct a straw man of the other person's beliefs. And does everyone know what a straw man is? A straw man is something that can be easily knocked over. So what they do is they kind of do their own interpretation of this and then they just knock it over. But most of them will do this. And they'll say, well, this is a relatively new one. You know, when Darwin came up with evolution, they reached for this, and this is why they came up with it. Uh Uh-uh, that's not true. I'm not saying that I believe in the gap theory. I'm just telling you what the truth is. The truth is you can trace this all the way back to early Christian fathers and further back to the Jews, Hebrew scholars who believed in this interpretation. Now, verse number 2 states that the earth was... Or became without form and void. What does that mean without form and void? Well the phrase without form is translated from the Hebrew word tohu. Which conveys the meaning of bareness and desolation. The word void is translated from the Hebrew word bohu. So you have tohu and bohu. Bohu means empty. So what verse 2 is actually saying. Is that the earth was or became barren and empty. In other words, it became a state of ruin. The last part of verse number 2 says that it was dark and water covered the earth. Now, proponents of the gap theory believe 
that some type of cataclysm occurred as a result of Satan's rebellion against God. And that's what caused the earth to become without form and void. And they believe that Isaiah 45, number, chapter 45, verse number 18 supports this view. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, verse number 18. It says, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. Now that's kind of hard because we lose something in the translation. But actually it means he created it at the beginning, not this way. Not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. Now that word vain is translated from the very same Hebrew word tohu that's used in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. So those who believe in the gap theory point to this verse as proof that the earth was not originally created in a ruined state. In a state where there was destruction, where it was tohu. Because it specifically states that God didn't create the earth to be barren or desolate. So something must have happened to cause the earth to become tohu, without form, and bohu, void. In other words, barren and desolate, a ruined state. Now, let's go back and go a little bit deeper. I want everyone to be with me, but we're going to keep taking the layers off and going deeper and deeper. Turn back to verse number 1. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If you never memorized scripture, memorize this one. It's so easy. You can always say, well, I've memorized scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right? Underline that word created. Created is translated from the Hebrew word bara, which means to create from nothing. Theologians refer to this as creatio ex nihilo. 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 Best I can do. That's Latin for creation from nothing. Now, look at the very first part of verse number 7. Because it tells us in verse number 1 that God created the earth. The word created means from nothing. We looked at the scripture last week that tells us there was no pre-existing matter. The only thing that existed was God. God didn't have to take pre-existing matter. He literally spoke the world into existence and created the matter that we have today. Now, the interesting thing is, from that point on, we go now to verse 3 and on. He doesn't use this word bara again until he gets to man. Because he's going to create a soul in man. He's going to create a soul from nothing. Our physical body is going to be made from the dust of the ground. But not our soul. He's going to breathe into us life. But until that point, he does not use the word bara again. In fact, look at the first part of verse 7. And God made the firmament. Firmament. Underline the word made. Made is translated from the Hebrew word asa, which means to create out of pre-existing material. So from verse 3 on, guess what? Let's go back. Verse 1, he creates out of nothing. But from verse 3 on, he creates from pre-existing material. From something that's already there. He's creating from material that's already present. So proponents of the gap theory believe that God created the original heavens and earth from nothing. But after it was destroyed because of, uh, of rebellion, God recreated it 
Asa. He used the old earth to make Asa the new earth. Does that make sense? And then, proponents of this theory, look at the scriptures that talk about Satan's or Lucifer's rebellion. Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28. And they say this must have happened before Adam was ever created. Now let's look and see why they say that. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will send into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. That was his rebellion. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Now you need to understand what that means. It means I will rule even God. It doesn't mean I'll be equal to God. It means I will go on the farthest, farthest side of the north. And the north always represents what? I'm going to exalt so high. Now we went a little bit further. Remember when we were in the book of Revelation? What does Allah mean? The, the Muslim God? Exalted. What we found out is Lucifer is the great deceiver. He creates this religion. We look and see what the Antichrist is going to be, and he's going to be a Muslim. We explained how we knew that. The Al-Mahdi is going to come. The Al-Mahdi is going to do everything that if you study the Koran, that their Messiah says is going to happen. But anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't want to go there. That's not even what I want to do. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That's kind of interesting because it makes it sound like he only wants to be like God. But that's not what he's actually saying. He wants to ascend, ascend above God. He wants to be above him. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Now, this verse implies, and I hope you notice that, that there were nations before Lucifer rebelled. And they were cut down. In fact, that's what the Hebrew word means. It means to be weakened, to be prostrate. In other, uh, prostrate. In other words, what took prostrate, prostrate. And so what happened is they were cut down and they fell down. All right? So cut down by his rebellion. So the proponents of this theory say that this refers to a pre-Adamic race. Now let's look at Ezekiel chapter 28. I'm going to read verses 11 through 17. Making good time. Then this further message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, sing this funeral song for the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. You were the model of perfection. Now, all of a sudden, we, scoop, we, we kind of ascend past the king of Tyre. This is what's known as a double prophecy. There's two meanings to it. The king of, the, king of Tyre represents who? Lucifer. He says, you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and ex, exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue-green beryl, onyx, green jasper, blue lepis, lazuli, turquoise, and emerald, all beautifully crafted for you to set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day that you were created. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian, one of the three archangels. For each one of the... Uh, Godhead, there's an archangel representing them. Lucifer was, was the archangel for who? Jesus. So he's one of the three. All right. Got Michael. Well, we won't go there, sorry. 
We'll get into that when we teach on angels. I ordained and ordained you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. Now, if you were here in Revelation, you know what the stones of fire is. God's throne is like what? Fire. He came exactly to the throne of God. Free access. One of the three archangels. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce, now he goes back to the other, led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, almighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. So because of this, that commerce that he's talking about, he wanted these physical, material things. And then as a result of this, he was banished. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. Now, who did he throw him down and expose him to? Kings. Kings. Now, of course, I've already told you the king of Tyre represents Lucifer. But this says that he was in the Garden of Eden. And it implies that he ruled over the earth. So when did he fall? Did he fall before Adam was created or did he fall after Adam and Eve were created? Well, the implication is he fell before Adam and Eve were created. So, this, so basically, this is what they point to as support of their theory. Now, I'm not going to get into what I believe. I had people last week. So what do you believe? I'm not going to tell you. I do believe, though. In something. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you. My only, in, my only purpose in showing you these different theories was to prove to you that you can still believe in an old earth and believe in everything the word of God says. You can still believe that the earth was created in six days with man being created on the sixth day. And from Adam until now approximately 6,000 years has passed. And you can also believe at the very same time, simultaneously, that the earth is approximately 16 billion years old. That's not hard to believe. In fact, I'm going to go further. You can actually believe in both of these theories combined. You can believe in Albert Einstein's law of relativity. Now, if you don't believe in that, well, that's all right. Go Prove to the scientists where they were mathematically wrong. But anyways, you can actually combine these two if you want. But I want you to see, because critics come along and say, if you believe in the old earth, you don't believe in the word of God. You're a heretic. You're saying that it's, that it's fallible. No, not at all. You can believe everything that the Bible says and still hold to this because this makes perfect sense. Does that make sense? And so I just want you to understand that. Now, next week, we're going to look at the six days of creation. And it doesn't matter which theory you buy into. Now, do you have to buy in the two I showed you? No. You can buy into it's a young creation, that all these fossils that we found, you know, God planted them here, or whatever you want to do. I mean, seriously, there's what some people, so you would have faith, God actually took these and planted them there so that we could test who really had faith or not. Some, some actually say that. Now, you can believe in, an, and there are those that actually can show you how all of this in a new age could have happened through all of these processes. So you can believe in a young earth, or you can believe in the Genesis Big Bang, or you can believe 
in the gap theory, or you can believe in the Genesis Big Bang and the gap theory combined. But no matter what you believe in, I want you to understand that once we pick it up in verse 3, the interpretation from verse 3 on is still the same. It doesn't matter. Does that make sense? We all believe here, if you're coming to Cornerstone Fellowship, that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. Everything that it says is true. Now, we might misinterpret it. We might interpret it wrong. But it is inspired by God, and it's infallible. It is inerrant. God, who's the creator of all things, is telling us what took place. And here at Cornerstone Fellowship, we believe that. So what I want you to understand is by the time we get to verse 3, which is next week, we're going to start in verse 3 and we're going to look at each day of creation. It doesn't matter what theory you believe in in the first two verses. You can still believe the Bible is inspired and pick it up with us in verse number 3 and the interpretation is still the same. 